Uh, we're going to now, um, brothers and sisters and young people, start to explore um, a little deeper into this fourth beast uh, and to try and unpack uh, some of the, uh, the detail that are, that's contained in here. Uh, as I went through the study, um, I, I found that it's possibly a, a four or five night study. It's so much detail and we can delve into this in various layers. Uh, but uh, I, hopefully there's a significant amount of detail, but, but not too much that uh, it doesn't uh, bamboozle you or me. Um, just in our last class, uh, you can recall when we were looking at the study of Daniel and, and the reason why we study it as, uh, as an ecclesia, we noted, didn't we, that Daniel shares um, his visions and explanations and we're so thankful for that. Uh, you know, he could have he held back um, that information, but no, he, he has given us those, those very clear visions and their explanation, and we're the better for it, aren't we? Uh, we noted that uh, he definitely would have been a, a great source of, of encouragement to the, to the brethren and sisters living in Babylon at that particular time, uh, and of course we get uh, a great encouragement as well. Uh, Daniel, of course, was emotionally moved, and we noted that as well, how how he was, uh, he was troubled, greatly troubled with the, with the things that he saw, uh, emotionally moved. And it's a spirit that, that we love. It's a spirit that we want to engender uh, and foster in ourselves, but also to teach that to our young people so that they can uh, build on that and themselves appreciate the value of doing those studies. I've added that final point in there, brothers and sisters, because uh, this is the point that I think I found in the, uh, in the study with this, uh, with this second period is the, um, the incredible detail and the accuracy of these, of these verses absolutely fill us with confidence because the, uh, it, it's been fulfilled. Uh, it's, uh, it, it's, it's, it's minute detail that we can look at uh, and explore. And, and wow, if, if this has been the information that we've been given and it's happened, we know for sure that everything else in Daniel chapter 7, which talks about the vision beyond this point, is also incredibly exciting and, and gives us the confidence that that will be fulfilled as well. So really, if we put the third point, a uh, fourth point, that's the extra little bit of information that I've found by doing the study of the fourth beast particularly. We also noted, didn't we, there was the, uh, the, the comparison, that really close comparison between Daniel chapter 2 and Daniel chapter 7. Uh, we saw the, uh, the, the lion that came out of the sea, the sea being the Mediterranean Sea, uh, and this beast with wings, this, this, this lion, uh, he stands up and a man's heart's given to it. Uh, and we're talking about, of course, the Assyrio-Babylonian Empire, uh, which corresponds for Daniel's image with the head of gold. Next to come out was, um, was the, the, uh, the, um, the breast and arms of silver, uh, which corresponded to Medo-Persia. And in our vision, it was the bear that came out, lopsided, three of the, uh, of the, the ribs out its mouth, which we noted could, have been, could refer to, of course, the three presidents, uh, uh, which Brother Thomas talks about, but perhaps it could also be representative of the three kingdoms that, uh, or the three world empires that they overtook, the Egyptians, the Babylonians, uh, and the Lydians in the north. Uh, we also noted that it was lopsided because, of course, uh, we had um, Cyrus the Great, the Persian, overtake or take control of that empire from the Medes. Uh, and hence that unbalanced or that, uh, that lopsided uh, uh, um, animal. Then we had, of course, the, uh, the brazen coated Greeks, and, and they came forth with wings on this leopard, this beautiful animal, this sleek and powerful animal, lifted up off the ground with wings, uh, and just like that he-goat we see uh, in Daniel chapter 8, goes across the top of the, of the land as if it was flying. 
uh, at its feet don't touch the ground. And yet this leopard with four heads, of course, emerges, uh, which is very much a symbol of, of Alexander as he, as he comes forth and, uh, and conquers the, the large amount of territory. Uh, and then, of course, splits up into its, its four heads, uh, the four heads of the, of the Grecian Empire. We also noted um, then this, this other beast emerged. Um, Daniel could only describe it as, as uh, a dreadful and, uh, and terrible, ex a strong, exceeding. Uh, and this beast, of course, um, refers to Rome. It's the two legs of the image of Daniel chapter 2. Uh, and then morphing into the, the, the beast uh, being, uh, being um, seen through the iron and through the clay, um, which we'll have a look at tonight. So the beast uh, doesn't necessarily change. What does change is the horns upon its head. And we're going to see that change, a significant change. And, and Daniel changes his vision from looking directly at this, this beast in its entirety to focus entirely on the horns. And what emerges out of the horns becomes the, uh, the focal point of the rest of Daniel chapter 7. We also noted, didn't we, that uh, the little difference in the, in the two of uh, the, uh, the, 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 uh, the interpretations of Daniel chapter 2 and of the beasts was that the uh, Nebuchadnezzar's, Nebuchadnezzar's image was actually ground into powder and blown away. As if the nations of the earth were just washed away. And yet we see in the image of Daniel, or sorry, the, uh, the uh, dream of Daniel chapter 7, we see that these beasts are, are not destroyed, but their lives are prolonged for a season and a time. Uh, and Brother Thomas points out that the season and a time actually refers to the millennial age, when the nations are still in existence, uh, although their, their power and their control to wield over the kingdoms of God has, has been lost. Uh, we'll explore that a little later tonight. We broke um, Daniel up into a, a couple of areas, um, Daniel chapter 7. Uh, we talked about verse 2 through to verse 8, uh, the four beasts emerging out of the sea. And, and often people look at this chapter, chapter 7, and just equate the chapter to the vision of the beasts. And yet, really, it just takes up those first seven or so verses. We then have um, the judgment of the beasts, verse 9 through to 12. The Son of Man gains dominion, verse 13 through to verse 14. And then Daniel, out of concern, goes back to the, the person. He enters into that dream and he, he talks to whoever's delivering that dream, the angel. And we're not exactly sure uh, who that is particularly here. But he, he talks to this, uh, uh, this person, one like the Son of Man. Um, uh, which he speaks to, and, and he asks that first question, what is this vision all about? Please give me more information. Uh, and then the, uh, uh, the, uh, the angel gives him an explanation and gives him an assurance that the kingdoms of men or the kingdom of God will not, will not sorry, the kingdoms of men will not last forever, but it will be replaced by the, by the kingdom of God. And we see that explanation, first of all, in, in verse 14, but particularly in verse 18, verse 22, and in verse 27. Daniel then comes back and asks for a second explanation, further detail. He's greatly concerned and he, and he seeks more, uh, more advice and more information. He's given then another explanation and an assurance. And finally, Daniel takes on the things that he's heard with, with great concern. And over in verse 28, we read that, um, as for me, Daniel, my, my cogitations much troubled me and my countenance changed in me, but I kept the matter in my heart. 
So even though he was absolutely concerned, worried and, and, and stressed beyond measure, in fact, we noted the word, ter- uh, um, uh, the word troubled actually means terrified. It's the same word used of, of Belshazzar when he's standing there with the writing on the wall. That's the level of concern and worry that Daniel actually had uh, about this dream and the, and the interpretation which he, he saw. We then just touched briefly on that fourth beast. Um, we noted that it was, was unnamed and unknown. Uh, dreadful, terrible, strong, exceeding, so much so that there's no zoo animal that we could equate to it. Um, uh, in fact, the Kaldi word for dreadful means to slink or to slither, and we noted possibly that uh, it, it looked more like a, a crocodile of some form, uh, as Isaiah says, the dragon of the sea. Um, it, uh, we also noted it had iron teeth, ten horns, uh, and nails of brass, which gave us the links between Daniel chapter 2, brass, uh, and, the, uh, and the iron, Uh, of the the legs of the iron, but also in in Daniel chapter 4, the bands of iron and brass around the base of that tree. But uh, we'll we'll deal with some more of that tonight. Uh, In its manifestation, we noted that it represents Rome, uh, both political and ecclesiastical. Um, And all those characteristics are actually combined in Revelation chapter 13. And we noted particularly that it was about Rome and Rome's strength, etc., so where we want to start tonight with, with our vision is, is, first of all, just to explore all of these verses packed together in, in one diagram. And uh, while we can hear the rain and the wind blowing in the background, it's nice to be in a, in a, in a cool hall, uh, sorry, in a warm hall, but uh, all together. What I put on the screen is actually um, an image of all of the verses of the and the explanation all together in one diagram. And I don't want you to look at particularly the detail of the words. I want you to have a look at the structure, how this has been designed. First of all, we note that across the top um, in the, the lighter shade colour, we have the descriptions. The first description is actually from verse 7 through to verse 8. Okay, And all down that column you'll see uh, words which relate to that first description. Then we have another description in verses 19 through to verse 21. And that's when Daniel said, please give me some more information. And so we have our second description. Then finally, when Daniel came back and said, I need some more information, we see that the, we get a final description with, a, with a, a lot more detailed interpretation. What I want you to notice too, in that first description, we're not given all of the information. It's only part of it. But as we move through those three descriptions, it's like the book of Revelation where we open up a telescope and we're given further detail as we go along, all the way to the very end where that first description doesn't even comment about things like the changing of times and laws and doesn't comment about the, the period of time given to the beast. It talks about times, times and dividing of times in the very last section. So if you like that telescope unfolding, we get more detail as we go along. What I also want you to note is that across the three visions, going across ways now, we get these particular phases of the empire or phases of this beast. Phase one refers to Rome as a literal empire, lasting up to around the year 476. We get phase two where we develop these ten horns. And you'll note across the middle, we've got ten horns mentioned in all three of the visions. Again, I'm I'm referring to the detail inside there, and I'm trying not to get to do that. We'll do that in a minute. But also want to note that the final phase is across all three of those visions as well, and we see the emergence of the Holy Roman Empire. 
starting off with just a small amount of detail about little horns and horns being plucked up, but all the way to the last section on verse 25 and verse, 20, uh, verse 23 to verse 25, where we get that real detail about, uh, about that, um, that uh, Roman Empire, the Holy Roman Empire. When we look a little closer, we can see it there uh, in uh, those different phases. And you'll note that I've just bolded some of those key words which appear across the, all the same visions, but also some of the key elements that we need to note. Things like terrible and strong, uh, nails of brass, uh, diverse from all the other beasts, um, and the interpretation, it'll be the fourth kingdom upon the earth, it'll devour the whole, whole earth, etc. So you can see that the language is pretty common across both of those with a little bit extra detail, and that's what we want to we wanna gather. Pretty similar with the, uh, with the phase two, it just gets a one-liner, uh, but in reality it's just the ten horns. Uh, the ten horns is repeated in the second description, but the third, third horn, sorry, the third uh, um, description or the interpretation tells us that the ten horns are ten kingdoms, and that becomes a significant bit of information for us. And finally, we have then the fourth beast um, uh, manifested through the phase three, uh, the emergence of this holy Roman empire and of course, what we talked about is a little bit of information given around horns being plucked up, three horns particularly to note, and then this eyes and mouth speaking great things, which is repeated in the last section. But finally, we note we've got in the last two sections only talk about the wearing out of the saints, uh, war with the saints, um, and also the last vision only talks about times and laws and, and, uh, and the period of time given to the beast. So let's pull all of that together into a summary, a summary vision, if you like. Uh, and I think we can see that that really then is, is, is if you like, just, just the, the, the one slide which, which gives it all together in a really clear, simple way. We're talking about these various phases of the Roman Empire. Uh, and uh, all, the way from, uh, all the way down to remaining in power for 1260 years, which becomes a really significant point which we'll look at uh, a little later. Now, um, we are going to have to do a little bit of history and maths. Uh, and Brother Adrian will stand up here and talk about art being important. Art's only important when you want to hear or, or actually see the visions being drawn. But when it comes to the detail, we actually note that the uh, two important subjects are history and maths. So just a little bit of a, little bit of a crack there at Adrian for his, uh, his focus on art. Um, now, I just want you to note, uh, first of all, that when we move into the phase one, Rome um, as an empire, we need to pick up those, the words that are, that are shared across, the, um, across those three visions. So, so what's the language that we have uh, in phase one that we've got to focus on? Uh, the next empire after the Greek empire, it's, it's powerful and ferocious. It devours and breaks in pieces and stamps. Uh, it has iron teeth brass nails or claws, um, the metal is used of Rome and Greece from Daniel chapter 2, and the teeth and claws were used to tear to pieces. And that's the information that we gleaned from looking at that first, second and third interpretation all brought together. And that's that, uh, that's that information from our, our summary slide. What we're talking about, brothers and sisters, is the Roman Empire. We're talking about the Roman Empire from the uh, year 44 BC right to... Um, approximately 326 AD. Um, not the end of the empire, by the way. It's when Constantine 
split the two parts of the, uh, of the empire into, uh, into east and west. Um, Rome, of course, we know was established uh, as an empire under the rule of, of Caesar Augustus. Yes, we know that there was uh, a number of uh, previous rulers, um, not, in, uh, not forgetting Julius Caesar, of course, but, but really the empire was established under Caesar Augustus. And uh, we note uh, that we have a reference in Luke chapter 2 there, uh, because of course we have a, a, a little a reference about the Lord Jesus Christ. When uh, Caesar Augustus came to power, he wanted to know uh, all the people that were in his empire so that he could begin a process of, of taxation to recover money from uh, all the wars that, that he'd been in to establish himself as the, as the Caesar. And he commanded that everybody, of course, go down to, uh, go down to their hometown. Uh, and of course, we note that, that Joseph took Mary and the Lord Jesus Christ was born. And, and no wonder the angels, it says in that chapter, rejoiced as everything was brought to a culmination uh, with this empire and these four, uh, three preceding beasts coming together. And finally, we had this Roman Empire to bring everything to fruition so that the Lord Jesus Christ might be, uh, might be born at, at Bethlehem. Uh, we note also that, um, that Rome, of course, uh, Caesar Augustus was followed by various empire, uh, emperors. Uh, and I've got a little note there that some were noble, some were warmongers, some were despotic, and some were mani uh, maniacs. Uh, in reality, it, we could spend all night talking about Roman em emperors and all the rest of it, re but really that's not the subject of, of what, we're, what we're considering here tonight. Uh, we're, more, we're more getting into the detail of, of, this, of the horns that emerge more than anything. Uh, the, uh, the image there is of Caesar Augustus. Uh, but uh, what we do know, um, which is really important information from Daniel chapter 2, is that the two legs of that image, uh, the two legs, of course, correspond to the east and west of the, of the Roman Empire, those two legs of iron. And we know, don't we, from our history books that uh, Constantine actually split up the Roman Empire uh, and he took the, uh, the, uh, the military power particularly across to um, settle at, uh, at uh, I've got on the screen there, it's called Byzantium, right in the centre next to Macedonia. Uh, it's the Byzantium Empire that was established over a period of time, but really the capital was, was Constantinople, which we know today as Istanbul. The, uh, the Byzantium Empire in the east was eventually overtaken uh, in the year 1453 by the Ottoman Turks. Um, uh, it survived the Crusader period, but it had various uh, emperors over that, uh, that empire, and we're going to be introduced to one of those in a moment. Where we want to focus, though, from now and, and going forward is, is Rome in the West. Rome in the West was, uh, was eventually overtaken by Barians in the year 476. But uh, up to this period that we've been speaking about, we're talking about a, a ferocious beast, a ferocious beast that, uh, uh, that was strong exceedingly and terrible uh, and breaking pieces and stamped the residue. And what we're talking about there is the manifestation of Rome in its, as, its, as an empire expanding its borders from, uh, from the, the area that was previously occupied by the Persian and Greek empires, but now moving more westward, heading over to Great Britain, going up to the borders of the Rhine, all the way through the area of Gaul. And of course, we can uh, read our asterisk comments to get the, uh, the full story sitting behind that uh, in a, a more comical form. Um, interesting to note that Brother Thomas talks about the fact that Rome never completely stamped out Persia. Uh, he talks uh, for quite a lengthy period of time about the fact that Persia was, was there and was a thorn in the side of Rome for, for many years. Uh, and that was never completely destroyed. And, and yet he notes that the, the Rome of the latter day, the Gogian host, if you like, 
will take that control of Persia uh, and, and absorb Persia into its, uh, into its kingdom, which is just a fascinating thought. We touched on that last time when we, when we talked about the, uh, the bear and the, uh, uh, and the leopard and absorbing those, uh, that kingdom. So we've talked about that phase one, if you like. Let's now shift our mind across now to phase two. Phase two of, the, of, this, of this beast, if you like. Uh, and we note it was just a one-liner that the empire would turn into ten kingdoms. So ten horns on the top of this beast. All right, and we notice the language there in verse eight. Let's read that together. I considered, sorry, verse, verse, uh, verse, end of verse seven. It was diverse from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. And I considered the horns, and behold, there came up among them a little horn before whom there were three of the first horns plucked up. So I just want to pause it there, but I want you to note that the language now focuses from now on just on those horns and what's happening amongst those horns. We've moved away from, from this, this beast as such, and even though it's the horns on top of the beast, it's almost like the camera's just zoomed in. Forget the rest of the beast, this, this terrible animal that's there. We're going to now just focus just on the top of its head and look at, look at the horns. The nation itself, the nation or, or the empire of, of Rome, from really from that period where Constantine moved over to the, over to the east, it suffered a, a range and a, and a series of attacks from, a, from a, a quite a large number of nations. Uh, and, and although we've got this, this ten kingdoms, which of course corresponds with the ten toes of, of Daniel's image, we note more than anything that ten is a representative number. It's a representative number of, of the nations uh, that, that attacked Rome. And on the screen I've got to about twelve of them. Uh, the Celts, the Thracians, Parthians, Picts, Visigoths, Ostrogoths, Vandals, Huns, Franks, Saxons, Lombards and Bungurians. Uh, some of those you'll know from history, some might be new to you, new to, uh, new to you as they were to me, um, but all of them were essentially various nations that attacked this empire over a period of time. And they came from, from, ev from everywhere, from all quarters, different parts of, of Europe, um, and, uh, uh, and uh, attacked the city and, and uh, made attempts to destroy it. And almost every time in history, the, 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 uh, the rulers of, or the emperors at that particular time sought help from the Byzantium Empire that was emerging at this particular time. Uh, and so we see that you know, there's some support coming here and there for, for, uh, for, that, uh, for those invasions. But I just want to just show you uh, a map which describes um, Odoacer's kingdom, who was, the, um, who was the final ruler at that particular time um, he, he actually was the final barbarian, if you like, to, to destroy uh, and, and to sack Rome in the year 480 AD. Interestingly, the final emperor that was ruling Rome at that time, his name was Romulus Augustus. All right, so the founder of Rome and, of course, the first emperor into one name. Uh, and here we find uh, Odoacer comes with his kingdom, his barbarian groups, and, uh, uh, and sacks Rome. So at the point where the Roman Empire finishes, we have essentially 10 horns, a representative number of all the different kingdoms. And I think it's an amazing thing to see all these little bits of, uh, of the Roman Empire divided up into all these different groups uh, that, that, that make up this empire. So certainly a representative number. Uh, and we see that really today, don't we, with Daniel's image. And we talk about these 10 kingdoms or these, these 10 toes, and yet we have 26 European nations. Uh, I think it may even be down to 25 with, uh, with, with the UK coming out. Uh, might need to correct me on that, Justin, a little later. 
But anyway, we've got a, we've got a, a lot more than 10, haven't we? We've got, uh, uh, we've got up in the order of 26 nations. So we can see that 10 is a representative nation, a representative number of, of all of the nations of, of, the, of the Gentiles, if you like, uh, that inhabit Europe at this particular time. So let's just pull back and just reflect for a second. So what we've done is, is we've talked about the, the beast in verse 7 and uh, 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 right up to the end of verse 7, we've looked at the second of those visions and the third of those visions, but we've pulled out of them the different phases, haven't we? We've dealt with the first phase, talking about Rome as an empire. We've moved to the second phase. We've talked about those, those horns across, across the, uh, those three interpretations, and it's the ten horns, which describes Rome in its, uh, uh, at, its, at its end, if you like, in the year 476, when the barbarian tribes have, have taken it over. And now we're going to move into phase three. And one of the key things we need to know about phase three so we see the emergence of the, of the Holy Roman Empire. So after, um, uh, another, after the Ten Kingdoms, another will arise. And let's just read verse, verse 6 together. And this is really key language, isn't it? I considered the horns. So he's looking at those ten horns now. And he says, and behold, there came up among them another little horn, before whom there were three of the first horns plucked up by the roots, and behold, in this horn were eyes, like the eyes of a man, and a mouth speaking great things. And of course, we can go on and talk about the fact that it made war with the saints. We see down in verse 21, I beheld, and the same horn made war with the saints, and it prevailed against them. And we can also see down in verse 23, the fourth beast shall be the fourth kingdom, etc. Down to verse 24, and the ten horns... Uh, out of this kingdom are ten kings that shall arise, and another shall arise after them. He will be diverse from the free. He will subdue three kings. So this, this common language around these three kings. So if you like, three of the horns, these three kingdoms plucked up by the horns and like thrown out, and in their place this little horn emerges. And it says back in verse, verse 20 that he's, he's more stout than his fellows. He, he grows and he starts off small but grows and emerges and he's got this mouth speaking great things. That's got this idea of being, being proud and lifted up. But the key point is in verse 25. He's not just a, a horn speaking with eyes and a mouth, but he speaks great words against the Most High. So it's blasphemous words, isn't it? So and that's where we get this idea of an ecclesiastical horn. It's not just a kingdom, although it is a kingdom because it's a horn, but it's also speaking blasphemous words. So it's a words against God. So it's in opposition to God. And that's why we get this idea of it's being an ecclesiastical kingdom, if you like, a holy Roman empire. And that's the language we're talking about. Um, Brother H.P. Mansfield in um, his book, The Expositor on Daniel, writes these words. It's important to recognise that the little horn that Daniel saw emerge and grow does not represent Roman Catholicism merely as a church, but as another kingdom or a, domina, uh, sorry, a dominion Catholic character. For the horn are described as kingdoms, not churches. This little horn was an ecclesiastical dominion and is known to history as the Holy Roman Empire. Beautiful quote, isn't it? Sums it up. He brings it all together. He says it's not just this, this, this another kingdom. He says it's actually an ecclesiastical kingdom as well. It's a Holy Roman Empire speaking blasphemous words against the Most High.
Well, um, brethren, sisters and young people, in summary, we're moving towards now that, that, that third phase, aren't we? Uh, and a couple of things to note. We've got the little horn. It starts small, takes over three uh, out of the ten horns. It rises in power until it's dominant. Uh, the other seven kingdoms, if you like, fade into the background. It's a religious power, speaking blasphemous words against God. It persecutes the true believers. It thinks to change times and laws. And it remains in power for 1260 years. Uh, and we'll see that representation in a moment. Well, here we have the Holy Roman Empire, phase three, emerging from, uh, from this barbarian period. Uh, we see the, uh, the emperors that were, uh, or, or the rulers that were in Rome at this particular time, which was particularly the, uh, the, uh, the bishop of Rome, seeking out support from the Byzantine Empire, looking for people to support them. And they found, they found a champion in, in Justinian, Justinian on the far left-hand side, that, that handsome chap there in the, the purple robe. He proclaimed... Uh, in the year 529 to 533, he proclaimed the bishop of Rome as the universal bishop. And so we see this just the beginnings of the little horn poking through the top, just starting to emerge. In the year 539, Justinian actually uh, conquered the Ravenna area in, in Italy uh, and papal authority was, was installed there. So we're starting to see uh, a bit more of that horn emerge. Uh, and then we see it really starting to, to come out. In the year 549 to 554, uh, Justinian now places Rome under the authority of the Pope. And all the while, the events here, Justinian is fighting uh, amazing battles on behalf of, the, uh, on behalf of Rome to, uh, to destroy these barbarians that are coming down uh, and to, to, to fight off all, the, um, uh, all the, the civil war that was going on at the time. And all this time, of course, the, uh, the Bishop of Rome is reaching out to the Byzantine Empire, come and help us if you like, and to uh, defeat our enemies. But in, in reality, it was all about him emerging, if you like, this little horn emerging from the top of this dragon uh, and, and becoming, uh, becoming established there on the head of the, uh, on the, head of the dragon. Uh, about the time of AD 608, um, uh, the, the, the empire of Byzantium was facing um, quite a bit of opposition from uh, the, uh, the, 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 the Muslims uh, and also the beginnings of the Ottoman Empire, very, very early stages. Uh, and um, no longer could the Catholic Church or, or the Pope reach out for support from Byzantium. No longer could that happen. And so they needed to, to look for further champions around to support them in their cause. Uh, and of course, a power was emerging in the area of France, known as the Franks uh, and uh, Emperor Focus uh, over the Franks actually decrees that the Pope is now the head of all the churches. So he now becomes this, this amazing sponsor, if you like, of the Roman Catholic Church uh, and uh, of, the, of the Holy Roman Empire. Uh, in the year AD 758, uh, we have Pepin uh, and 799, his, his son Charlemagne. Uh, Pepin the Short, uh, King of the Franks, who's that chap on the right-hand side, um, dashing warrior there. Uh, he, um, he gave the, the Pope actually three kingdoms. Uh, he fought on, on his behalf, uh, on behalf of the, uh, of the Empire, as King of the Franks, and he gave him what was now described as the states of the church, the three kingdoms of Italy. And remember the language of Daniel chapter 7. Those three horns were plucked up, if you like, and in its place was one horn. One horn came. 
uh, and the three kingdoms of Italy that were pulled up, I, I can hardly pronounce some of their names, the uh, Exarchate of, of Ravenna, the Kingdom of the Lombards, that one's okay, and the State of Rome, that one's okay as well. And so the Pope actually gains some physical territory to rule over. Now, not just a, a, a power or a church, now we have actual land. Now we have physical territory. And now we can properly describe it as, uh, as a kingdom in our own right, a holy Roman empire. Um, interestingly, um, Charlemagne uh, was crowned emperor of the holy, holy Roman uh, empire in, in Christmas day in, in AD 799. But I just want to just, just touch on that just for a second. Um, about a year and a half ago, we were in Germany and we just went to a castle in, in the town of Nuremberg, which um, is described in, in, uh, in that, uh, that place as being, if you like, the, the, the jewel of Germany, uh, where all the emperors came to. Uh, and there were some pretty famous people that, that went along to that place there. But in the, um, in the actual... Um, uh, in the actual place itself, inside the castle, was these signs describing the development of the Roman Catholic Church right up to the Third Reich. It was just, was just unbelievable. Uh, and really interesting, that sign, and I know that's um, really hard to read, so I'm going to read it for you if I can find my slide. No, I can't read it either. I'll have to read it off the screen. All right, so just this language here around um, the coronation of Charlemagne. It says, the coronation of Charlemagne by Pope Leo III in the year 800, established the concept of emperor in the Middle Ages. During the following centuries, this was uh, considered, by, uh, considered to be a key event in which the higher authorities of secular and spiritual power acted in unison. I can hardly read the rest, so we'll leave it, but you have a look at it afterwards. But essentially what's happening is, is Charlemagne came into the St. Peter's uh, Cathedral and he wasn't expecting it. And the Pope walks over him, over to him, and he crowns him Emperor of the Holy Roman Empire. There's a lot of speculation whether he was pretty happy about that, and some say he wasn't. But what essentially happened is that it meant that Charlemagne, the King of the Franks, became, if you like, the most important king of the, of the whole empire because he had the authority of the Pope, which essentially made the Pope the kingmaker. So he was more stout than all his fellows. All right? Which makes... Very important point, a little later in history when Napoleon stood there at his coronation, he took the crown off the Pope and he put it on his own head and then, as Emperor of France, he crowned Josephine. What he was basically saying to the Catholic Church is, no longer are you in charge of anything to do with crowning kings. I am the highest authority and we'll see that in a moment. So just a really fascinating thing to see that the world understands this. The signs are written there in this castle, clearly showing us the development of the Roman Empire right from early days to, to Charlemagne and, of course, right up to the Third Reich, Third Reich, which they consider an important aspect of the Holy Roman Empire. And if, we, if we look through history, we realise that absolutely it was. And Germany and the Nazi, uh, uh, Nazi power were working in concert with the, with the Catholic Church, but we're miles off the subject. What we do know, though, what we do know about this, uh, about this empire, about this Holy Roman Empire, is that we have uh, an empire which is known for blasphemy and for persecution. And we note the language in, in verse 8. Eyes like the eyes of a man, and a mouth speaking great things. 
We know from Zechariah chapter 4 and verse 11 that the, the eyes of Yahweh run to and fro throughout the earth, looking after and, and, and if you like, gathering people to come and, and, and be the saints. But this isn't the eyes of God. This is the eyes of man. And we've got that concept of only thinking for self, self-aggrandizement. And there could be no better description than the eyes of man for the Catholic Church. Not only were they about self-aggrandizement, but they were about retaining that power. And so it meant their eyes were not just out there to look out for the welfare of others. It was about making sure that no one was corrupting the church, its doctrine and its practice. And we know what the Catholic Church is like even today. And they continue with that eyes of a man, just more quieter and more subtle in their, in their approach. But we will see, won't we, as we know from this chapter and other chapters, that they'll emerge to do just the same thing once again. And the mouth, well, the mouth in verse 25 is speaking great words against the Most High. All right, blasphemous words against the Most High. And we know that the Pope was just that. Setting himself up, it says in the book of Thessalonians, First uh, Thessalonians, setting himself up as God, speaking on behalf of God. And we know, of course, that the world refers to the Pope for any direction for, for doctrine and faith. Uh, and it's just been a really fascinating thing to watch over the last few months, how the Catholic Church has said very little. And it's almost as if they're just waiting for the right time to come out and be a great healer or, or something. I'm not, I'm not sure how that's going to work, but we can almost see them just ready to pounce uh, and, to, uh, and to restore their, their role as the, as the chief religion or that, uh, that, that harlot system that, that gathers all its daughters together. Psalm uh, 12 and verse 3 we note, uh, Yahweh shall cut off all flattering lips uh, and the tongue that speaketh proud things. And we know that that's going to happen uh, in the future and we'll talk about that in a minute. But the other key thing I want you to note, brethren and sisters, which was, was towards the latter part, those last two descriptions uh, in the last few verses of Daniel chapter 7, made war with the saints and prevailed against them uh, and wore out the saints of the Most High. And that's the language that I think Daniel was most devastated to hear. Uh, Brother Alan Eyre only died um, this month, I understand. And he wrote a couple of beautiful books, one of them, The Protesters, and the other one, Brethren in Christ, uh, and detailed for us, um, as, as, as Christadelphians, our brothers and sisters that, that suffered the most uh, terrible persecutions uh, at the hand of, of this system. But no doubt there were so many more. In fact, uh, we can talk about St. Bartholomew's Day and all the, all the history that's associated with that uh, and that, uh, that terrible slaughter of the, of the Huguenots. But just a couple of images I've put up there, and they may be a little hard to see, but essentially, brothers and sisters, we've, we've got a, uh, the burning of the stake there with our brothers and sisters, and so many of them, them were. Uh, martyred for, uh, for, the, for, the, uh, for the cause of the truth, just for reading the Bible uh, or talking about it. Uh, and here they are, our brethren and sisters, the, the picture on the, uh, on the cover of the protesters' book of uh, our brethren and sisters sitting in a boat, uh, reading their Bibles and holding a Bible class uh, in the middle of the river. And have a look at us here tonight and live streaming. You're sitting in a couch, but you know, we're here, brethren and sisters, aren't we, uh, in the safety of this place. And I can't help but be... Uh, uh, think of a, a great privilege to be able to do this, to open up our Bibles and, and talk about this, uh, even mention off the platform about the Catholic Church and uh, its blasphemy and uh, its behaviour, and yet here we are able to do that freely. It's quite an astonishing thing. When we compare uh, the blasphemy and the, uh, the wickedness of the Church and what they did to our brethren and sisters. 
what we've done is we've just trans, uh, you know, just gone through those, those three phases of this empire, haven't we? We've started off talking about the Holy Roman Empire, sorry, the Roman Empire. We moved to them really being uh, bashed up, if you like, by the, the barbarian hordes and then moving towards this, this Holy Roman Empire, uh, which uh, we know has got a finite end. Uh, we know that because uh, verse 26 tells us, and they shall be given into his hand until a time and times and the dividing of time and the judgment shall sit and they shall take away his dominion to consume and to destroy it unto the end of the earth. And that's the end of that final vision section. And we have those two amazing, uh, sorry, three amazing verses in verse 18, verse 22 and verse 27, which show us very clearly that the saints occupy the kingdoms of men, if you like. So this empire must come to an end at some point. And the language of that judgment is also spread beautifully across these three particular uh, explanations of this beast as well. And again, um, very similar language is, is seen. Uh, we note that only verse 26 talks about the time, time, sorry, verse 25 talks about time, time and dividing of times. But by and large, the language of what's going to happen to the system is spread across those three visions uh, and talking a lot about the saints uh, of course, possessing that kingdom. But let's just explore for a moment that language until a time, times, and the dividing of times. And there's a little bit of, little bit of mass for you. I'm just going to read um, Brother H.P. Mansfield's summary, and then we can just look at the, 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 uh, the sum. The word time, he says, denotes a set time. So technically a year which is the obvious appointed division of time, whether it be lunar or solar. The phase therefore represents three and a half years. So time, times, and then half a time, three and a half years, according to the Jewish year of 360 days, represents 1260 days. And of the prophetic day for a year principle, it measures off to a period of 1260 years. That's a little bit complicated, so let's just explore that. So we're talking about time, and Brother Thomas says that, sorry, Brother H.P. Uh, Mansfield says that it refers to a, a single year, of course, which is made up of 360 days. So time, 360 days. Now notice the little S on the end of that word, the next word, so times. So we've got a multiple of two. So 720 days. And then we have a dividing of times. So we've got times divided by two. So a total of 180 days. And there we have it, 1260 days. Now, Brother Thomas, uh, sorry, Brother H.P. Mansfield, in fact, Brother Thomas as well, very clearly, uh, outlines um, that it refers to 1260 years and they describe it as a day for a year principle. And that's picked up, the language of a day for a year principle is picked up from Ezekiel chapter four and verse six. And talking about Ezekiel, when he was to demonstrate to the children of Israel what would happen to them, God says to him, and when thou hast accomplished them, lie again on your right side, and thou shalt bear the iniquity of the house of Judah 40 days. So 40 days. I've appointed thee each day for a year. 
And so what we're being told is, is the children of Israel will be in some form of captivity, but Ezekiel was to lay on his right side for 40 days, representative of the 40 years. And so we have these 1260 days with the time, times, and the dividing of times. With our day for the year principle, we get 1260 years. It's not a stretch. It's been mentioned a number of times in different forms throughout the scripture. In fact, you can go to the book of Revelation and it talks about uh, 1260 days and then it talks about 42 months. Well, 42 months, 30 days in a month, 42 times 30, again, 1260. So we really have a clear definition of a period of time dedicated to this beast to have dominion, to have to have control, if you like, over the saints and 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 and, and as a, and as a uh, as a dominion or power. Well, brothers and sisters, as I said to you at the very start, I'm just blown away by the accuracy of the scripture, and here we have it. We have the judgment of the beast until time, times, and a dividing of times, and just as this empire emerged. So it was destroyed in the same way, not all at once, but just corresponding exactly 1260 years later at various stages. Justinian proclaimed the bishop in 529 to 533 and the National Assembly of Revolutionary France passes a, a legislation directed to destroy the Catholic power. When? 1789 to 1793, 1260 years later. And of course, a little bit of an image at the bottom, which might be a little bit hard to see, and hopefully it doesn't look like Parliament today, but it's a bit of a, it's a rabble, if you like. 539, Justinian conquered Ravenna and gave the papal authority there. And of course, 1260 years later, in the year 1799, Napoleon begins his war against the papal countries of Europe uh, and conquers, um, sorry, and actually crowned himself emperor of uh, of all of France at that particular time. Then he continued his, his, uh, his war against the Papal States. Um, we see Justinian placing Rome under the authority of the Pope in 749, 1260 years later, from years 1809 right through to, uh, to 1814, when uh, Napoleon actually was sent off to the, uh, to the island of, uh, of St. Helena. Uh, Napoleon himself annexed the Papal States and, and caused incredible destruction and, uh, uh, and uh, um, upon the whole of the Catholic system. All of those Catholic countries that were together, Napoleon brought them to war uh, and destroyed, destroyed many of them. And just the same with, with 608, when Focus uh, decreed the Pope as the head of all churches, um, Italy was, uh, was at a time of great civil war uh, and, a, and a revolutionary group under the, the leader Garibaldi, removed the Pope's temple power. Uh, and uh, slowly but surely, you can see the unravelling of that empire. 1260 years later, just as the empire rose up to power, exactly that time, time, and dividing of times, we can see that empire unravelled uh, and the Holy Roman Empire no longer uh, in, uh, with, its, with its power and its authority. Now, brothers and sisters, I've just placed on the screen there just a couple of those additional dates. 758. Remember we talked about Pepin, King of the Franks, uh, giving the Pope three kingdoms, those three kingdoms. Well, 1260 years later brings us to the year 2018. Can we stretch that out to 2020? Not to know. 
But we do know that when Charlemagne in the year 799 or, or the year 800 was crowned the emperor of the Holy Roman Empire, 1260 years later takes us to the year 2059-2060. Are we talking about the final destruction of the empire of Rome? Their, 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 their power is abolished from the earth around that year 12, uh, 2060. We're not, we're not entirely to know. Uh, if we think a little bit about the fact that we, there possibly is a, a period of judgment, whether that's 40 years or no, brings us right back to 2020. Uh, wouldn't that be amazing if that, if that was to be the case? What we do know, brethren and sisters, is that the, the final judgment uh, is revealed for us in those beautiful verses of verse 18, uh, verse uh, 22, and also in verse, 22, uh, verse 27. The kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdom under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High, whose kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and all dominions shall serve and obey him. And what we've been told there, brothers and sisters, is that beast's dominion, although diminished, will continue on for a period of time, but then, at that kingdom age, the, uh, the power of that, uh, of that beast will be removed forever. And what we're told here is that that beast's dominion is not wiped out completely, and so, of course, we see, uh, see the beast, although their dominion was taken away, they're still in existence for a little longer, a, a period of time, right up until we see in verse, uh, verse, um, uh, verse 12, 11 and 12, where we see that that beast was actually destroyed by a burning flame, a lake of fire, if you like, described in the book of Revelation, when they are completely abolished uh, and taken away. What we do know, brethren and sisters, is that this deeply troubled Daniel, deeply troubled Daniel, it says in verse 28, hitherto is the end of the matter. As for me, Daniel, my cogitations, which really means my, my deep, deep thinking and meditation, much terrified me, as that word means. And my countenance changed in me. It's like it was a visible sign of someone who had received the most awful and devastating news. But very interesting point here, brothers and sisters, I kept the matter in my heart. And brothers and sisters, I can't help, that the reason he, I can't help but think that the reason he kept that in his heart was because he didn't want to upset his brothers and sisters at that time. There was wonderful news for them. That head of gold... That lion at the very start of that vision was going to be removed. And he could tell his brethren and sisters that. But the fact that there was likely to be a number of successive empires, a long period of time, persecution of his brethren and sisters, both uh, brethren and sisters like us and also the, the Jews, and also then a period where there was full control of, a, of an empire blaspheming the God of the Most High must have deeply troubled him. And he kept that to himself, not wanting to share that information. And brethren and sisters, Brother H.P. Mansfield writes, Daniel pondered the significance of the vision, was troubled because he thought that the setting up of the kingdom of God was at hand, but the revelation implied long epochs of persecution experienced by the people of God at the hand of anti-God forces. And he was saddened at the thought of the suffering imposed on them. And so we leave our chapter there, Daniel chapter 7, with, with Daniel worried and concerned about what he saw. 
And brothers and sisters, the question then asked has to be asked for each one of us here today. If this beast has come to an end in some form and yet still is in existence, when are we going to see the saints taking hold of the kingdom? When are we going to see this, this kingdom coming back to, to rid this beast forever from the earth? For it to be cast in the fire, as it says in, uh, in verse 9, a flaming fire. When is that going to occur? We don't know, brothers and sisters, do we? And we look around the signs of the times and we get an indication we're close. And that's encouraging. But we don't know, do we, exactly? And we point to some of these timelines and we, we speculate, really, because we're not told the day or the hour. But I just want to leave you, brothers and sisters, with just this thought. Just tonight, the world will experience three incredible events, incredible events that will happen tonight while we sleep. In fact, some of them are starting now. On the far right-hand side, Russia has been voting for some time now, for the last week or so, for Putin to gain presidency over Russia until 2036. And tomorrow morning, we'll have the results of that election. All right? We don't know whether he is Gog. Ezekiel 38 talks about a strong man, one at the top. He fits the bill. If he's in power until 2036, we certainly could see him being part of that Russian confederacy coming down. We've got 10 years of a, of a judgment period, we believe. And here we have a, a strong man at the top. Could be. Tonight will be the results of that election. Tonight, Germany takes responsibility for the EU presidency. It's a rotating presidency. But Germany takes control tonight. So here we have, if you like, the seat of the beast, Magog, taking control of, of the EU without the United Kingdom, able to do what it wants in some ways. And they take responsibility over in Europe tonight on the 1st of January, uh, 1st of July, I should say. And the final one, brothers and sisters, is, is one which I think is fascinating. Tonight, the 1st of July, Benjamin Netanyahu has been given a green light to begin his annexation of the area known as the mountains of Israel. Known as the mountains of Israel, which is fully occupied by Palestinians at the moment and with a few settlements spread over top. And he's been given a green light to annex that area by Donald Trump starting from the 1st of July. We don't know when that will actually happen or whether he'll actually go ahead with it. But if he does, Israel takes control of the mountains of Israel, described in Ezekiel 38, has always been laid waste and now are inhabited. Are we seeing the beginning of some really terrific signs which happen while we sleep tonight? I'll leave you with that, with that thought. And so, brothers and sisters, in summary then, what have we seen? We've seen a really amazing vision unfold. We've seen a man, Daniel, thankfully, being able to talk about his vision, being able to explain it to us, even the, the intricate detail, the things that pained him, troubled him, worried him, he gave his brethren and sisters these visions. And we are the beneficiaries. We've seen a system from the Roman Empire through to this period of barbarian hordes, right through then to this holy Roman Empire with all its ugliness, terrible, this stout little horn pushing up, speaking blasphemous words, persecuting God's, uh, God's saints. And when we see its temple power taken away, particularly through the French Revolution. And we know, brothers and sisters, even though it hasn't been completely taken away, temporal power has been removed, it still is in existence. We're waiting for that day, brothers and sisters, when we are the saints, 
and we can take control. I've put this slide up on, on almost every talk we've, we've, we've had this year. Preparing to participate. We are, brethren and sisters, those kings and priests. We're the saints that's going to bring about that change. And uh, Revelation chapter 5 talks about that. The fact that we're the redeemed, aren't we? And we will sing that song, the blood uh, out of, uh, sorry, uh, by thy blood, out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. You've made us unto our God, kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. It's us, brethren and sisters, who will bring about the ultimate end of that system which we, we hate, which Daniel hated, and of course, God absolutely despises, and will bring about those things. So let's, brethren and sisters, prepare now to participate in that glorious kingdom coming on the earth.